everybody. Uh, it is I, Ryan, um, host of DM Told Me To, as always. Um, back here with the third installment of the Oramon update. This is a day or two late, and I'm sorry about that, guys, but it turns out that on Sunday, my family all got COVID except for me. So that's what we were dealing with in the normal update would have been up. So sorry about that. But anywho, I'm here with an update on things for us, so let's get into it. It should be pretty cool. So not a ton of stuff, but I think we all, I think we have the, if not the basic rules, pretty much done at this point, right? Like if I'm thinking about it here, so let's go through and I'll show you. And I added some more, uh, more features into the book too. So we got our cover page, right? As always, um, you can check this out on YouTube by going to DM told me to on YouTube and you can watch the video there to see what I'm going on on my screen. Otherwise, if you just listen, that's absolutely fine as well. Okay. The links should be down below as well to check this out so you can just read it over if you'd like or you can watch what I'm doing. Anyway, let's go down and see. All right, so first thing, I made a table of contents because I figured as this book's going to get bigger and someday I'm assuming people will want to print this. Um, I don't be printing it. Oh, it's Spanish too because that'll be fun to have. But so I figured I'll do a table of contents. It gives um, basically introductory note, right? Uh, first section is creating an Aromancer, parentheses page two. Uh, talked about all the stuff that we talked about before with the class paths, all the special stuff. Number two, acquiring an Aramon. Something for this week, right? For this episode, uh, page seven, it mentions about seal breaking, getting getting Aramon from the wild, getting up from bosses and duelists, single shops, fusions, and then questing slash aid. Uh, after that is uh, the third section of the book, which is battles, which is page nine. So I go into a lot of the details on how battling system in this works. Um, yeah, so we have a we have a cool treat for us to start for this one. So hopefully, hopefully you guys enjoy this. All right, so let's get going. Um, let's scroll down quick. Show introductory note. Um, I updated as more people help out with the project, and I mentioned more details to it. Uh, otherwise, it's been the same as it's been. Uh, I've not changed anything for number one. I've kept everything the same here. Uh, if I've moved stuff around, it's just to make stuff fit a little nicer. But I didn't mention that too much there. Um, enhanced backgrounds are still there. Oh yeah, I have to fix some with the formatting of the bottom of the celestial class path. Some of the bullets traveled to the top on the other side, so I'll just have to go through and maybe cut a sentence or a word out somewhere to try to make it fit a little better. It's really annoying that I can't like just make like one thing fit, but what are you gonna do? Um okay. Oh, added a picture here by Goku King922. Shout out my man, it looks amazing. Um a rough picture too. I know he said he's gonna be making some updates to it, but wanted to share that here with the people to see. And yeah, I got his permission. He said he was totally cool with having me in the book. So when he finishes, I think the picture's gonna go right here, right after the class paths, because I think that's a cool way to just show like, you know, discovering of a card, things like that. So thank you, Goku King. Um, if any of you guys out there are artists or feel like you wanna draw and have your pictures be put in here, I am all for it. So DM me on Discord, um, join the Reddit down below where people can share images of things. And if I like them, I'll reach out to the artists and I'll put them in the book and stuff. It'll be cool. Um, yeah, so if you want to have your name in like an official like book, you know, well, not official, I shouldn't say official, but in a, in a homebrew variant book that I would assume would get traction as people play and enjoy it more. Um, and always have people see it to know that you were a part of this project. I'm I'm game. I will put it there. Like I said, I'll put your name by the bottom that you can see there. So for those that are listening, um, I basically drew a person and they're like have this Ormond card that's like flying up towards them, like they're getting it, which is pretty cool. So anyway, um, that's all still one. All right, new stuff number two, uh, section two of the book. Right, acquiring an Ormond. With the world of Oromon being vast and filled with a multitude of creatures known as Oromon, as an Oromancer, you are able to harness those Oromon to aid you in your tasks. There's many ways to acquire Oromon. So, first one, seal breaking. One of the best ways to get Oromon cards is from purchasing packs from around the world. Depending on your tier of play will determine what packs you get access to. Certain packs will be offered from the following tiers. So, I've decided to do packs this way. That way, creatures of certain challenge ratings can only appear in certain packs. That way, not like a level two player doesn't get like a red ancient dragon card and just dominate the battlefield, right? I mean, it's some sort of balance here. So uh, the first tier is when players levels are one through four. Second tier is when players levels are five through 10. Third tier is players levels 11 to 16. And fourth tier is when players levels 17 to 20. So in each of these brackets or tiers of play, if you wanna look at it that way, there will be cards, um, there'll be packs of cards based on creatures that are appropriate for, pe for people of that skill to fight or see like out in the wild, right? Like you'd see in normal D&D. &D. 
That way it just helps avoid the whole, oh, I'm a level two player and I'm gonna summon a red ancient dragon, like I said, so. Um, each tier will have its own set of card packs that the players will unlock as they reach the next tiers. These packs are combinations of Oromon creatures, of Oromon creatures and spells. Uh, let me go through quick. I'm just going to change the wording on this. Yeah, I'm noticing things as I'm looking at this now. So I'm going to quickly say, um, I mean, saying Oromon creatures, I guess, is fine, right? Because it shows the actual creatures of the world are in the packs. Like, so you'll get actual units, like stuff you can summon to fight with and spells. So, for example, a second tier player will be able to access first and second tier card packs. I try, some of the parts here, I'm going to be like, yes, Ryan, that makes sense. You don't have to put that sentence but I'm trying to make it be as easy as I can for people that don't understand totally what's going on. You know, because you understand. People that have been following this, you've seen every week, you've seen me do the updates in the book, you've seen me do different installments and things every week. Someday, if I'm going to release this book that I made up on like um, DMs Guild or something, you know, nobody's going to see those videos I mean, unless they're tryhard fans and watch it again, in which case, if you're here, shout out. Um, but anyway, um, People are going to be just looking at this book for the first time and they're going to be like, how does this game work? What's going on? Right. So that's where by having those features of me breaking it down very simply and trying to give examples and clarifying it's to help alleviate some of that confusion. So this allows players um, to try new and stronger creatures and spells to summon while in addition, allowing them to strengthen their older cards through fusions. So each card pack, let me just fix that quick. Yeah, so what that means is basically, right, you get access to second tier cards and you can still access first tier card packs too, because that way if you want to keep buying a pack that you know has a card, a creature that you really like, and you want to get lucky and keep rolling it to then fuse in to make it be a really strong creature because you really like the unit and just think it looks cool, you know, um, then you certainly can do that. You're not like limited to just being stuck with buying, oh, now I'm second tier, I can only buy second tier packs. That's all. So, anywho. Each card pack for the each card pack for the Oromancer for the Oromancer to open and break the seal of contains usually ten cards in it, consisting of five common rarity cards, three uncommon rarity cards, one spell card, and one rare slash epic slash legendary card. So, ten cards. Pretty self pretty self answer there. The rarity of the last card in a pack varies by card pack. You put that in there. Card packs can be found in the card pack section of this module, which shows the tables players may roll from to see which cards they open from a pack on page X. I have a page X because on my notes, I've been working on behind the scenes on developing, making them, um, at least making lists of monsters. A little spoiler, evolutions for some monsters. I know I don't know if I mentioned that here much, but we've been talking about a lot in the Discord. So if you're not a part of that yet and you want to be involved, definitely check it out. Um, so once that page gets put in the module, I'm going to put right below seal breaking, like, Hey, here's the page number you can check out to see what's in card packs, right? Cause I figured let people be able to, as you read that, then you can flip through the book and go right there. You don't have to go back to table of contents. You don't have to jump all around. You can just go right to the page because I'm putting it there for you. All right. So that, that's breaking up with card packs in a nutshell, right? Basically what'll happen is each pack will have a table of X things. That'll be under columns for common, uncommon, rare, epic, legendary, etc. depending on what level tier players are at. Because not every creature in D&D is equal, right? So if the, if the tier of the players is rightfully so for levels one through four, now there's some creatures that are actually quite strong for those young level things to deal with, especially in just in the normal monster manual. I know Volvo's guide has a lot of things where their CR challenge rating should be a little higher, but you know, um, anywho, by opening up card packs, it lets you be able to get a bigger collection and you can do some, ah, I've now thought of something that I need to add to, to acquiring Aramon, but we'll get to that later on. Um, anywho, uh, from the wild, as you explore in this world of Aramon, you will come across wild Aramon that may that may, I gotta change that there, that may attack you. See, as I look at this and I read this stuff out loud with you guys here, I'm able to fix stuff, so. Wild Aramon have a chance to drop themselves as cards upon being defeated. When a wild Aramon gets defeated, have each player who helped to defeat it roll a d100 to see if they get any cards from it. Depending on the chances to drop is dependent on that creature's CR. Evolved creatures only drop as their basic forms. So as creatures evolve, they can only drop themselves as their basic forms. 
Spell cards, drops, or random ones that the Aramon could have cast, chosen by the DM, right? So, because every creature that can cast spells knows some spells, knows a lot, knows a little bit of spells. So to make it easy, I just said, okay. It's up to DM's discretion on what spell that you get. They could probably just have you roll for it from the enemy creature's spell list, right? They could be like, okay, this creature knows like four spells. Give me a d4. We'll see which one you get. Now, now, those at home that are listening, that are watching it on the thing. I'm going to explain the table to you here. So, Oromon CRs, I've broken them up from 0 to 4, 5 to 10, 11 to 16, 17 to 20. That might be adjusted. I just kind of did it to base off of closely to the player's perspective, right? So you can kind of assume that depending on your tier, well, you'll have access to the 0 to 4 CR range, the 5 to 10 CR range, etc. Um, so, in the 0 to 4 Aramon CR range, that's the basic stuff you want out in the wild, Aramon uh, creature drop chance. Everyone rolls a D100, anybody rolls a 60 or higher, you get a copy of that card. It flies to you, you get to add it to your binder, your collection, etc. If you roll a 75 or higher, if they're a spellcaster, a creature that can cast spells by some divine power of maybe pixie casting polymorph, if you will, right, for example, you get a 75. If you roll a 75 and a D100, you get that. And then they proceed to increase by 10 each time. So, levels Aramon CR of 5 to 10, drop chance of 70. You mean like you need to roll a 70 or higher on the D100 to get its card. 11 to 16, you need to roll an 80 or higher. And then 17 to 20, you need to roll a 90 or higher to get a creature card drop from a creature of that caliber. Um, spell card drop chance, right? By all of them increased by 10. 5 to 10 is you need to roll 85 or higher. 11 to 16, you need to roll 90 or higher. 17 to 20, you need to roll a 95 or higher to get access to a spell from their list. Because high level spells in D&D are really good, right? Like Meteor Swarm, you know, Wish, etc. So, to not lower the chances of players getting them, but to make it be really difficult for them to get it, there's that. Now, hopefully after I do this installment in this thing, uh, I have to decide if what I'm gonna work on next, if I should work on the monster tableaus, if I should work on the spell list, if I should work on card packs, if I should work on items you could get, right? There's a lot of different stuff that could contribute to this. So an item ID I was potentially thinking about putting in is an, is an item card that lets you like get plus five to your card drop roll. So you have a higher chance of getting a card drop. Could be a pretty cool item. Anyway, so a little, little spoilers for stuff worked on behind the scenes. Uh, okay, next way of acquiring an Aramon is bosses slash duelists. So, with exploring dungeons, some boss Aramon are sentient and may, instead of attacking you like other wild Aramon would, they may themselves be Aramancers and possess decks of their own. So, for example, right? If you're fighting, and this is up to a lot of this is up to DM discretion too, right? So if you're fighting like like the general of an army of hob, of goblins, right? Maybe it's the hobgoblin chieftain or something. They could then summon stuff with their own deck of their own creatures to fight the players. Pretty cool, right? So from defeating them in a duel, players can still roll to see if they to still roll to see if they give them any cards, just like they would for a wild Aramon based on the enemy's CR. You beat up a hobgoblin and a beat up a hobgoblin boss or hobgoblin chieftain, depending on what his CR is. Do you get that him as a well, air quotes? Let me rephrase. Not exactly him, copy of him. You know, as a card that you can then summon in a fight. If you roll well enough, sure. Now that one's not going to be a duelist like the wild one is, but you know, still pretty cool. So, and this is entirely up to play groups. Um, this next part here. This is entirely up to play groups if they'd like to do antes. So for friendly duels or tournaments, players can do antes as a form of an extra reward on top of other rewards they may, uh, other rewards. Antes consists of each player rolling for a random card from their deck to be given to the winner before a battle commences. It can help players build their decks more or possibly lose their key cards to make their decks function. So I want to put antes in here as, as a way for players to be like, hey, Let's say that some kid, like, right, let's say that in this, this game can be played in any fashion, right? So let's say it's like a guild hall, for example. Let's say that there's a one guy that's always pecking on you and stuff, and you guys go at it, and he's like, and you, you notice, like, 
he maybe notices that you opened a, uh, an epic card in a card pack and he wants it, right? So he's like, he's like uh, he'll be like, all right, I'll challenge you to a fight. Let you prove yourself that you're good enough against me. Well, you offer up that epic card you got and I'll offer up this. And he offers up like a card that maybe is like a proxy, like not a real card or whatever. But you don't know that right at the time. So you guys can then fight whoever wins the fight gets the other person's card. Think of it as like people that play marbles, right? I think marbles is a good example or people play marbles nowadays. But people always would like play antes or in the schoolyard as a kid, you know? And so could be a fun thing. Obviously, it's up to play groups. You want to incorporate that? Sure. Players be like, oh, no, no, no. I work for these cards. I don't want to lose them in any way, shape or fashion, even if it's random chance. Then, okay, fine. Don't play with antes. That's totally cool. I just want to get the option up there for people to think, but they never thought of it before. DMs can also arrange tournaments where players could face other duelists to win exclusive Aramon cards or spells. Other ideas can include DMs introducing alternative art of Aramon cards if they want to include homebrew creatures into the game as well. So, yeah. Uh, I just want to fix it as well. So, what that means, right? Let's say that uh, you guys are doing a tournament and... There's a goblin surfer dude that you could get instead of the run-of-the-mill goblin. And the surfer dude has an aquatic speed, which makes him special. And his card art is something like a normal goblin. Maybe the DM was able to throw on some clip art on the card and have him holding a surfboard and stuff like a weapon or something. And now he's a surfing goblin. That's a special, like, limited prize thing for winning the tournament. So... Could be a fun little thing. Like I said, there's a lot of ways for people to, to explore and expand on this, especially if they like collectible card games and they like creatures and monsters of D&D. And this allows people to play with homebrew creatures, which um, I'm going to drop this in a little bit right here. I am working on the Patreon and the back scenes for this. Um, I'm going to make a tier B. Uh, every month that you're part of this tier, you get to submit to me one like creature, maybe build your own pack to be included in the book. You get to do all this stuff where you get to include your own information into the book by being at a certain tier in the Patreon. Uh, on Patreon. So I'm almost done working on that. That's still behind the scenes. When that releases, I'll let you know and I'll put the links on all of the videos up to here. Because um, that way, if you're like, like, yeah, you know, I have a few dollars a month, I'll drop it to the cause and oh, I get to include my own homebrew creature into the world. Okay, Ryan, let's see. What do I like? What do I think would be cool? So by doing that, then you can have your own like little nugget in the game and I think it'd be cool for players to be able to someday be like, yeah, you know, I worked on this project. Hey, that creature, I had that creature. Maybe like your play group has a little... um. The reference they made where one time they befriended a goblin and they named him like Guffy and they're like, I want to include Guffy the Goblin to here so that if I go play this my play group, they can see that that's in like somebody's official book that they made little Guffy the Goblin. You know, I think it'd be a really cool thing. Um, anywho, single shop. So as you're collecting your multitude of cards in your binder and you may want to, um, as you're collecting your multitude of cards in your binder, you may want to sell some for money um, that you may not have any need for. Right, so certain classes like we discussed in episode two of the series, right, where um, I'm building a deck this way. Maybe it's for my background, maybe it's for my class, maybe it's for all these things. So if I get a card and it does not work for me and no other player really kind of wants it, right, then might as well try to get, rid of, get, get them ready to sell, you know, or if you look at the stat block, because <laughs> some cards in D&D, right, they might be like, now that you're level two, now that you're in the second tier, you know, you're getting stronger creatures. So your first tier creatures that you haven't really built much of, like, yeah, maybe I have like four or five like crabs, but I don't like need them. Now I'm second tier, you know, I'll just go gather a few of stuff and sell them. So here's what you do. These will be adjusted after playtesting. Again, like I said, I've made this disclaimer tons of times. A lot of stuff in this book might change you to playtesting. That's okay. That's okay. At least having it here as a general thing so people can see, I think it's great. So um around the world there are places to buy and sell singles single cards due to single cards being specific they cost more to buy than if you were to sell them obviously right you go to a store any magic gathering shop comic book shop whatever you go to sell a card you're gonna get half price and if you were to just buy it that's how economy works right that's how money works unfortunately but in the game it has to be the same way because otherwise then players could trade in every garbage they find for a premium card that they need so the ready breakdown for selling is as follows you get cash in 10 commons for one gold piece, six uncommons for one gold piece, one spell for one gold piece, one rare for one gold piece, one epic for three gold pieces, one legendary creature for 50 gold pieces, one mythical for 200 gold pieces. Um, you might be like, Ryan, there's no mythical on the card pack opening list. And that's because mythicals are from special events and whatnot and will be discussed later on in another installment of the book. So. 
We'll get to those later, but I at least wanted to put it here because it'll be a type of creature that you can you can sell for. So, uh, anyhow, as far as pack prices, like I said, different packs depending on the rarity, depending on their themes. Some might be more specific to certain elements of the world. Some might be specific to other things. That's why they'll range in prices. So there's not like a definitive every pack costs this much. You know what I mean? So, um, basically, if you open two ten card packs, get a rare. Right? Let's do the math quick. Cash in all the commons. Cash in all the uncommons. That's two gold pieces. Cash in your two spells. That's two more gold pieces. Cash in your two rares. You have six gold back. So, I mean, you could bet that the packs are probably going to cost at minimum ten. So there's some some loss there. But, you know, you get an epic. And I might change the epic price. Because epics are going to be a little harder to get, actually. I think right now that we're talking about... I'm going to change epic to, to selling for ten. Because... Epics are going to be harder to get, so I feel like if you could potentially trade in an epic, like in the real world, right? If you play Magic Gathering, you play the things. If you trade in like a really expensive card that's in the meta or it's a really good card, you're going to get money back to be able to buy a pack. You know what I mean? So, figure that's fair. Now, we're already back down to buying singles is as follows. You want to buy one common from it? Like, let's say you go to a singles card shop in your in your world that you're playing for this game, right? They're selling commons, uncommons, spell, spells, rares, epics, legendaries. We'll see. Whatever they got. Want to buy one common? One, one gold piece. Pretty easy. One uncommon? Five gold pieces. Costs one spell is 15 gold pieces, so now we're breaking the threshold of a pack. Right? And here's what it comes down to. You can risk it for the biscuit and roll to try to see if you get that uncommon you want by buying... We have three rolls to try to get it from the list of however many each card pack has. But the thing about that is... Or you could just spend half your money on the card pack instead and buy the uncommon that you want if it's being sold. See what I'm saying? You kind of got to gauge your thing and be like, oh, yeah, no, I, I need that. I need that guard. That's that's um. I need that guard that's a good nature because of my celestial class. Okay, yeah, that's an uncommon whatever. I need five gold pieces instead of me risking it for more cards over less cards. I'll buy that one that I know I need, you know? Uh, one spell is 15 gold pieces, so more than probably the minimum pack of 10 is the 15 gold piece for a spell, because it's like spells are pretty good in this format, in this game. Spells are pretty good, because any player will be able to cast almost any spell. Technically, you'll just be having a buff or a, decre or a, buff or a hindrance, depending on which class you are, right? So, um, spells are 15. If you want a specific rare, that'll be 20 gold, so the price of two 10 gold minimum packs will be... Uh, a specific rare you want, but chances are rares are pretty good than commons, so. Epic for 30 gold. Legendary for 500 gold. Mythical for 1,000 gold. Um, like I said, stuff will be changed, stuff will be adjusted. We'll have to see how things look, but that's where they stand right now. Anywho, next thing, fusions. Combining cards is an essential skill that all Auromancers have the power to do. By going to a fusion sigil, they are able to combine duplicates of cards they've discovered in their travels to enhance their abilities. As cards gain levels, some can evolve into stronger variants of themselves. These can be seen in the Creature Almanac on page X in the module. Again, I'll put the page thing for you can see the Creature Module, or the Creature Almanac of this entire set. So you can see, okay, I got a crab. If I fuse it up to level 4, it evolves into King Crustacean, or whatever it be. Okay? To fuse, you need to take your base card and combine it with duplicates slash pre-evolutions of the card in order to have it raise a level. Once you fuse your Aramon up to levels 4 and 7, some have evolutionary lines and will evolve into stronger versions of themselves. When your Aramon evolves, you will use its new stat block for statistics. Right, because obviously it's a, it's basically a brand new creature, so it has all new stats. So, example. Here's an example of how of how fusing's gonna work in this game. Okay, let's take two level one crab cards and bring it to a fusion sigil. Those two cards, or they both, will combine together, and a new level two crab card. They both will combine together, and a new level two crab card is made. A second. And a new level 2 crab card is made. In order to make a level 3 crab, it's not, you need to take that level 2 crab card and combine it with two more level 1 or 2 crab cards. By combining a total of 3 cards, you make a level 3. And so on. You want to make a level 4? You have to take that level 
three crab, combine them with three other levels, one through two to three, what have you crabs, and then those four cards morph together into one level four crab. Okay? Same as for spells. So spells is where stuff gets a little interesting, right? So when you combine the same spell to become a higher level, if the spell says it increases its effect at higher levels, then when it reaches that said level, it now counts as being casted at that level. So this is where stuff gets a little, a little, a little crazy, right? So the same is true for casting a spell at a higher spell slot. You can cast your spells at those spell slots based on its level, but not higher, obviously, right? So in D&D, classes have spell slots, right? Of how strong you can cast a spell, and some spells get stronger as you get stronger, like cantrips and things. Here's an example that will hopefully help break down fusions that I've included as well. If you take your level 4 cantrip Firebolt and combine them with four other level X, parentheses, of any level, and parentheses, other Firebolt cards, you now have a single level 5 Firebolt card. It now reads, instead of 1d10 damage, it deals 2d10 because of the spell reaching a higher level. If it needed spell slots, you could cast it using a 5th level spell slot due to it being level 5. So in this game, instead of spell slots, you just have your spell cards, right? Spells do not evolve, but rather get stronger as they would if they reach that level in their description. So if a spell says at player level X, this thing now deals more damage, or at this level you get to do this, this, and this if you cast it at that level. Well, by you combining these cards to make higher level things, thus you can cast spells at higher levels. Now. I know this sounds like a lot and always being able to cast a X spell at level five or six for every fight if you draw it as a spell card. That's great because you can always do that. But the, the you understand this um, as well, that spells are probably some of the hardest type of cards to get in, in the game, right? You get one kind of you get one spell from a card pack. You have a chance to drop it from an enemy. So to get duplicates to level something up to that high. Uh, we'll get to the fusion table right here so I can show you, right? So at level one, so the first column for Oroma, I have a table here called Oromon Fusions, right? It says levels one through nine. A card or creature cannot go beyond level nine, such as a spell not being able to go beyond level nine. Makes sense, right? Additional cards needed to level up. So level one, you so you look at the level one, you have a level one card, and you go to the additional cards needed to level up one, is there an evolution at level, which is the third column? No. So that means when I reach that level, it's not going to evolve. To get it to go from level one, additional cards needed to level up, you need plus one. So it means I have my level one card. I need one of any other level one card. Fuse them together, level two. Additional cards needed to level up from two. You take your level two, plus two of anything else. Two additional, additional cards needed to level up. You need two additional cards. Bam, now you have a level three, and so forth. I tried to make it be... Pretty simple that you take the card that's your level of the thing you're trying to fuse up and you need to grab duplicates of it, of that or uh, that or if it's pre-evolution or of lower levels. Take all those, fuse them together, bam, you had this. So to get a creature up to level four, you need to have six duplicates of it. Obviously for spells, that's a lot harder to do than to be creatures, right? Um, so... You have a level four creature reaches level four upon being, okay, let me rephrase, my apologies. You take your card that you've been leveling up and you need six additional copies of that to be fused with it. So you need seven total copies of a card to get it to level four. When it reaches level four, does it evolve? Yes. I have a new card. It's evolved now. Let's say your crab becomes King Crustacean like we talked about earlier. Your King Crustacean now needs four crab cards or King Crustacean cards of level four or less fuse with them to not make him a level five and so forth. Level seven will evolve again. So, you guys are pretty cool. Um, might be like, why would you go beyond seven for eight and nine? Well, creatures as they get higher are gonna unlock new abilities and I'm gonna find new art and stuff like that for them. So, some of their damage or their abilities might rely on what level of card they are. And even for spells, right? Let's say you want to cast Fireball at ninth level. 
Spells especially want to go beyond the evolution. I don't anticipate spells evolving as a heads up that at least not Not right now. There's a lot of stuff I still have to do for this book before it's ready So that might be a patreon tier or patreon goal if we reach a certain threshold I might then have to devote more of my time to to making each spell evolve in this game. Um, there's a lot of spells so We'll see um, but Next thing questing slash aid so Helping to make the world a better place is what Auromancers are known to do. Many people in the world need help with tasks that they need your help with. So, some can offer money or even cards as rewards for helping them. Rarely, some Aroma may need help with doing something and may ask you to help them and can even give themselves or a card of themselves as a reward for a thank you. Some examples could include... Helping a guard watch over his post at night so we can spend some time with his newborn son. And as a thank you, he gives you a guard card from him being not a human, right? Because humans don't have access to Aroma, to the Oru, right? But if he's an Aroman creature, maybe he's like a goblin guard or he's an orc guard and you guys are watching over the post for them while you're traveling through. And anyway, so that's an example. Uh, with the guard being sentient, that card can summon an astral version of the guard card that looks like him, but a different entity altogether. That's why it's not like, oh, I'm now summoning that card, I'm now summoning that guard later on in battle to proceed to steal him from his family and <laughs> use him to fight. No, no. If a creature gives you its card, it's like a copy of it that it's generated from the Oru. It's not it, it itself. You know what I mean? So. Um... Now, obviously, the creature gives up itself to you and wants to travel with you and your group. It can do that, but usually things should just give copies of themselves as like a new variant of itself. So another example is helping an owl, helping an owl bear get a precious fruit from up in a tree that a bird stole. As a reward, the owl bear can produce a card of itself from its own oru to you as a thank you. You could also get spells depending on what the quest is set up. Uh, depending on what, okay, you could also get spells depending on what the quest is, but it's up to DM interpretation. And that's where, you know, players, if you bring this book to your DM and want to mention like, hey, this campaign sounds awesome, can we try it? Oh, so it's up to DM interpretation, right? Antes, a lot of things in this is up to interpretation. So you can take this book, you can modify it, do what you like, but I'm helping lay down a general skeletal structure with certain parts to be able to just play it as the books were in. Some stuff's obviously up to the damn interpretation depending on how you make your story, right? Maybe you help a wizard be able to go. I was typing up a thing about a wizard as a spell example, but then got super big and I was like, nah. So a little Sparks No version of that. Maybe you have a mission where you have to go help a wizard get a secret reagent from a um from the woods, let's say, or from a swamp, right? As you're traveling, you run into an, a cabin in the middle of the swamp that has a hag in it. And you end up having to duel a hag who's an aromancer. She's summoning black cats. She's summoning all different swamp-like creatures to fight for. And um, you beat you guys defeat her. She drops maybe a card if some players roll lucky, right? And then you guys grab the reagent, bring it back to him, and he gives you a spell card as a thank you to each player to help them or something, right? So that's an idea. Um, I realize I did not include anything in this one about uh, if you were to trade a card. I would assume trades are kind of up in the air. I'd like it to be of equal value, right? Meaning players could either just pay somebody in gold the amount, or you could just trade a level three for a level... I mean, not even level three, but just like a, hey, a common for uncommon, etc. Um, and that's where I might put something in about that. I might leave up to player interpretation. We'll see. It depends on how, how crazy it, it gets there. Um, but we'll see. All right. <sighs> Whew, I feel like that was a lot. So those are all the different sorts of ways in this world you can acquire creatures' spells to fight with you, to fight for you in your deck. Because we, before we talked about the players, right? We talked about what type of class the players can play as. First of all, was like the players. Second of all, was the type of players, right? The type of people in your playgroup, whether if you're power, celestial, etc. This one was about how to get Aramon to aid you in battle. So speaking of battle, let's go to the battle section, right? Battles. Oh boy. <laughs> so. Alright. The battle section. Throughout your time, uh, so section three of the module, right? Page nine. Throughout your time playing Oroman, you will not only be able to collect cards and bond with the Oroman you've summoned, 
but will also be able to use them to fight even some of the most toughest of foes. This segment of the module will break down the details of fighting in battles against wild, fo wild foes and other duelists, right? Because you can fight other Oromancers, whether if it's in a friendly tournament that the Wizard Guild's holding, or it could be an evil dark duelist or something that's corrupting the land, whatever you want to do. Usually I would assume DMs, if you're listening to this too, the little nugget of advice that I had an idea of being like, right? Usually maybe your boss monster of the dungeon or perhaps a, 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 a um, big bad evil guy or right, BBEG to appear later in the campaign that you sprinkle in early for the players to see is a duelist in some fashion and they have to be able to beat them, you know, or a mancer duelist. The words are pretty exchangeable. So anyway, first thing. I want to go into battle terms. I have like a whole like mini like a little glossary thing set up here for what I mean by when I say a word here in the battle section and for the rest of the module. So battle terms, some key words to know before getting started in a battle are explained down below. Deck. This is your pre-built collection of cards that can be changed at any long rest from your binder of cards you bring with you. So you bring uh, 10 cards or 30 cards, whatever level you are, right? Because that changes your deck size. You can then change it any long rest. You can exchange cards in your deck. You're like, okay, so we're going to, so you think, right? All right, so we're going to be going up in the mountains to explore, to try to find this lost mine for the dwarfs. And let's see, maybe I want to bring the create bonfire spell because we're going to be cold and I'm playing the support character. So I'm going to, I'm going to lose one of my spell slots. I'm going to lose one of my spell cards in my deck to put the great bonfire in. So we all don't freeze and die at night. That's pretty good, right? So that's where you can exchange, get stuff ready before you go into a fight. So, and then that's similar to your deck. Now, if you cast a spell that doesn't like deal damage in combat, you could still like cast the spell and there's uses for those spells that don't do anything in combat letter utility spells. And we'll get to that later on in this battle section, actually. Anyway, so that's deck, right? Long rest, you assemble your deck of however many cards and that's what you can bring with you and go from there. Drawing, so this is done by rolling on your deck of cards, by rolling on your deck of cards, like to see what card you draw. Usually when a battle starts, you'll roll two to three rolls to see what cards you've drawn. If you're in person, yeah, I was supposed to add to this, whoops. Let me fix that quick. Um, if you're in person, let's see, and your DM allows, you can make your own cards in the deck and just draw them. Right, because that's that's the general idea, right? You're rolling to draw a card. So if you're an every admin player and you're like, listen, I want to make little index cards. I'm going to take my little index cards here. And I'm going to write the creature stats on the back or print off and just copy and paste the card on the, the card stats on the back, put the creature picture on the front or whatever, shuffle them up without looking and draw three cards off the top and those will be my hand. And you actually want to use the index cards or whatever cards you want to use. That's all fair game too. I am <laughs> going to make, I've got another ambitious promise here. Uh, a tier in the Patreon, if we reach it, is I will make mini card printouts for people to use over their playgroups at home of every creature and evolution I plan to include in the game. So, if we reach that tier and I'll have to make it, then I'll have to make it and then you guys can be able to cut out and print off DMs at home for your playgroup and just have 10,000 cards of paper or cardstock or whatever you want to use to make your deck of cards, you know, and then have players be able to actually shuffle and draw cards and summon them and fight with them, etc. on the play group area, which I think would be great. Um, but for now, <laughs> since we haven't unlocked that yet and I don't have it up yet, if you're in person and your DM allows you, your DM allows you, uh, if you are in person and your DM allows, And your DM allows, you can make your own cards in a deck and just draw them instead of rolling on a D10 list of your deck or a D12 list of your deck and what have you to see what you actually end up drawing. If you've already rolled that number, such as getting two, three, three, you'll instead just draw the next card in order. So you'll draw your second card, your third card, you'll draw slot two, slot three, slot four in your deck list, etc. So that way, it's like if you've ever, if on your turn, you're going to roll to draw a card, right? And we'll get to that, right? Um, you'll roll your d10, d12, d20, d30, whatever you, d20 plus 10, whatever you roll, right? By doing that, 
you'll be able to draw the next card. You, if it's the bottom of your list and it's 10 and you roll a 10 and you've already drawn your 10, then you draw a 1, right? Pretty self-explanatory. You just draw the next number in line. You just reset and go back up to 1, right? So, All right. Next rule or next wording, I should say. Next battle term. Excuse me. Mulligan. This is done when a player does not. So this is done when a player does not successfully draw a creature at the start of combat and thus must discard their hand to the graveyard. This gives the enemy Ormon slash S for Ormons, right? Advantage on their next attack. <laughs> they will, uh, I'll say you will draw instead of they write you. You'll draw three cards immediately looking for an Ormon to summon. If no Ormon, then, I'm just say you again because I keep saying they, you'll think of the enemy. Then you will continue to mulligan until you find all right, let's start by doing right. This is done when a player does not successfully draw a creature at the start of combat and thus discards their hand to the graveyard. This gives the enemy Aramon's advantage on their next attack. You will draw three cards immediately looking for an Aramon to summon. If no Aramon, then you will then you will continue to mulligan until you find one. So the only time I can see this being problematic. Because the ratio of creature to spells, there's a lot more creatures than their spells, or Aramon than spells in general. Right. So, you might mulligan maybe once, maybe twice if you're, if you're a mystic class, because that gives you access to extra spells, and that's where sometimes extra spells can hurt you, right? If your deck has tons of spells in it and you have to keep mulliganing, you keep giving the enemy advantage. That's, that's pretty bad, you know? If no Armand, then you will continue mulligan until you find one. If this is done multiple times, the enemy gets multiple rounds of advantage. Pretty self-explanatory, right? And that way, DMs, for your players at home, if it's a three versus one fight against a bad guy or against a wild creature, if two of those players have to do mulligans, that enemy creature gets advantage for two for the next two turns. To give them some sort of perk in a three versus one fight. Right? So, pretty cool. A little balance, a little balancing right there. Graveyard. If an Oromon, if an Oromancer gets, if an Oromancer, no. If an Oromon, what was I doing? Gets sent to the graveyard, it can only be put back into your deck during that fight with an effect. Certain effects will cause cards to be reshuffled back in your deck, etc. Otherwise, after the fight, it gets put back into your deck to be used again in the future. So after the battle's over, Right, so otherwise, after the fight, it gets put back into your deck to be used again in the future. Again, no problem. Purgatory. This is a strange place where Oromons put here cannot be called out of ever in a fight. If an Oromon gets sent here, it cannot be used in another fight or external summons until you take a long rest, right? We discussed in episode one, actually, external summons is the ability where... You may summon a creature for one hour out to help you with whatever you need, spend time, bond with them, etc. But if they've been sent to purgatory due to a battle, they cannot do that until you take a long rest. After a fight, you must replace the missing card from your deck with one from your collection that doesn't go over your maximums allotted for your level. Right. So if you sent a creature to purgatory in a fight, if your own creature went to purgatory in a fight, you then have to immediately after that fight switch it out with another creature from your binder, your collection. That doesn't go over your maximum allotted for your level, right? So you can't like, oh, I lost a creature. Okay, I'll put in a spell. No, it has to be a creature. Can't go over your maximum allotted spell count. You're like, well, what makes something go to purgatory? I don't want a sense of the purgatory. Well, you might want to, and here's why. Release. Uh, next, the next battle term is release. This is when you may send an Oromon you have out to Purgatory, along with a number of cards from your hand to the graveyard through discarding them to summon another monster in, in its place from your hand. What that means is, if my guard out on the front lines helping me, helping me and my friends fight this goblin, well, not, yeah, helping me and my friends Oromon fight this um, hobgoblin, right? He gets attacked. He's looking really hurt. Our Celestial guy, he doesn't have his healing spells right now. I'm going to release him. So, I'm going to send a number of cards from my hand. I'm going to finish reading release, too. Hang on. 
The amount you discard is based on the rarity of the Oromon you are sending to Purgatory. The Oromon you summon may not be a card you discarded. This does not count as an Oromon being knocked out. So if one of your Oromon already got knocked out, your next one you send out is getting a beating, looks really weak, and you're like, if he takes another hit, he's done. I'm out of the battle. My disc shuts off. That's it. Like, the fight's done for me. You can choose to, re to release, right? And you can choose to send that guard to Purgatory. By sending him to Purgatory, let's say your guard is an uncommon card like we were discussing earlier. You have to discard four cards from your hand in order to be able to release the guard, which is an uncommon, to Purgatory. Okay? When that guard enters Purgatory, it does not count as a loss for you because your, your Aramon did not get knocked out. Did not get reduced down to zero. Did not go to the graveyard. It did not do etc. to count as being knocked out, right? It was instead released and put into Purgatory. I.e strange zone that's outside of battle where the card just sits until you take a long rest then it returns so until you take that long rest you will not be able to get that guard card back but you discard four cards you release your guard to purgatory you now get to summon a creature from your hand that you want to replace the guard all in that one action on that turn it's a very different mechanic than I've seen in any... I've played a lot of card games, guys, in my time. Fantasy, real life, a lot of card games. I've never seen an effect like this. So I think it'll be a fun twist. It adds some uniqueness to this from any other card game ever out there, the concept of purgatory. So, right? You release your guard. You now are able to summon another creature from your hand, like maybe your pseudo dragon or whatever you have. Or your Aarakocra, right? We'll pretend it's a celestial guy doing this. Or your... Aarakocra. So, by doing that, you technically need to, I guess, have five cards in your hand because you're discarding four to then be able to summon the Aarakocra. Um, But, it does not count as your Armand being knocked out, so thus you're still in the fight. You're not out yet. You sent the guy away. It's basically like getting a freebie, right? It's basically like, like getting rid of a creature and not having it hurt you to be able to summon another creature to fight for you. So, figured it was a cool idea to try. We'll see if that gets broken. I don't think so, though. I think that's a pretty balanced, and I think about it. So, all right. Those are the battle terms that I have so far. As more and more people play with this experiment more, they're like, hey, what does this term mean? What does this mean? If that gets asked a tons, I'll, I'll expand the battle terms page. For all I know, this could be an entire two pages. But for now, it's just the uh, three quarters of the left side of the left column in the book. So, it's pretty cool. Next to that's the release table. So you're like, all right, my card type that I'm sending to Purgatory was our uncommon guard. Number of cards to discard. Uh, number of cards to discard. Number of cards to discard to graveyard uh, would be four. So if it's a rare card, you need to discard five. If it's an epic card, six, seven. Because obviously sending higher power, higher powered monsters to Purgatory for free and not having that count as a, as a, as a loss for your disc to shut off. It needs to cost something, right? So you have to remember, too, cards that get sent to your graveyard can only be put back into your deck during that fight with an effect. So, that way you're... I feel like then that way players get to use their full deck a lot more, right? Because if you're level... If you're, if you're early levels, right? If I quickly scroll up here and talk to you guys quick about something, right? You don't actually get 12 cards until level 5. So, to do this release method, you're going to have drawn most of your deck if you want to release something, really, right? Because you if you're going to release an uncommon card, you need to discard four cards and a fifth card to summon. So, you could... This is where those utility spells that players grab, like Crate Bonfire, Mirror Image, what have you, can be discarded in this way to be able to help release an Oromon without you having to discard a super strong spell. So that way that those spells even have use in battle to help you. And I just like, it's, it's such a, a crazy concept, but I think it's really cool. I, I'm really excited to hear what your guys' thoughts are on this because I'm getting hyped and I'm excited for this. Anyway, that was battle terms, right? Let's talk about the starts. The battle begins. In order for a battle to start, either a player must have their Oromon, attack a wild Oromon, get attacked, like, get attacked by a wild Oromon, or participate in a duel against another Oromancer. Once that happens, everyone rolls initiative and the battle begins. 
As the battle begins, if players don't have an Oromon out, their first objective is to summon one. All players will start the battle with drawing three cards from their deck. If they have a monster out before the battle begins, they will instead draw two cards. If they drew three cards and do not successfully draw an Oromon to be casted, they must mulligan and repeat until they have a playable Oromon. We talked about this, right? We talked about that in the definition of mulligan, what mulligan means, right? So, yeah, so you simply just have to mulligan until you get an Oromon you can summon by just drawing three cards until you do. So, turn order. After everyone has an Oromon on the field, whoever rolled first for initiative may choose to use their action to command their Oromon to do an action on that creature's stat block, comma, cast a spell from their hand, or command it to do another action that the Oromon could do. Right? Let's be honest. Let's talk about a quick battle scenario, right? You're fighting somebody in a kitchen, okay, in, in a tavern, and maybe you're fighting a giant rat, okay? You summon your Oromon, and you're like, well, I don't want my, like, guard to like try to attack him with the sword in these close quarters i'm just gonna have him grab like a frying pan to try to cover the rat up so that it doesn't cause any more problems for people and then we would just release it outside right so you can tell your guard to do that instead of actually attacking because that's something a guard could do why not right so you don't always have to be like example right like in the in pokemon right you don't always have to be like pikachu thunderbolt or in Yu-Gi-Oh, right? you don't have to be like blue eyes white dragon or dark magician dark magic attack right so um or I feel like in those games, the creatures were really linear when it came to combat, usually, right? They were like Pokemon, right? It's like Pokemon, all right, do one of your four moves. So anime was good about it. Anime had them break a lot of rules, be able to do what they want, dodge attacks, interact with the environment, etc. Where Yu-Gi-Oh definitely wasn't, right? I mean, earlier it was like, oh, shoot the moon, and then all of a sudden the ocean goes crazy. Yeah, no, Yu-Gi-Oh breaking all the rules in their own game, season one, but it was new anyway. So that's what with this idea, I wanted to make it be like, yes, you can have them do their actions on their stat blocks. You can have them cast a spell. Cast a spell from their hand, meaning like you could cast a spell through them, etc. Um, and that's explained later here too and all that. But So if they cast a spell from their hand, they may choose to cast it from their summon Oromon instead, right? If they have to touch someone, their armor may do it instead for them and cast the spell, right? So if you have a spell that requires you to touch somebody to deal them damage or heat metal or what have you, you can have your arm you can cast it through your Oromon. Now you're gonna use their stats if they have like spell attacks, etc. If you don't want to cast it from you yourself and you want them to do it, that's fine. They just have to use their stats for the spell. It's that easy. So all that's clarified on what you can do with an Oromon. At, at the start of everyone's turn, after everyone has control of one Oromon, they may draw a card except for the player who rolled the highest initiative. Usually in card games, whoever goes first it doesn't draw a card when it starts. Right? Think about it. Or they're always one card less than the opponent to start. Every card game I played usually is like that. There's Hearthstone, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, etc. Usually you don't draw a card on your first turn if you go first. Because you get the advantage of going first. So if you go first in this game, you don't get to draw a card on your first turn. On their first turn, since they get to act first, they're not allowed to draw a card. On their second turn and so on, they may. just want to clarify that, right? Whoever is last in initiative order may draw two cards on their very first turn. You go last, so you have to draw an additional card, which... You gotta realize like like the power of having additional cards, right? It's like, okay, yeah, you have more options. Maybe you wanna, maybe it gives you a higher chance of drawing your damage spell, what have you. But it lets you be able to release sooner if you need to, which is huge. Because for a comic card, all you have to do is release three cards. That's a starting hand, basically, right? So. If an Oromon gets knocked out, its controller must summon an Oromon immediately upon its death, no matter whose turn it is from their hand. If they do not have one in their hand, they must mulligan until they do. So, let's say your first Oromon you've summoned has taken a beating and you choose to release him. And by releasing him, right, you do your whole thing, you play your, you summon a creature from your, you summon an Oromon from your hand, your hand's now empty. Let's say that that Oromon gets critted and is like hard and is just obliterated in one hit and you don't have any cards in your hand you now have to mulligan until you do giving the opponent advantage on their next attacks on either you your friends whatever so it's also like a team aspect too right because 
if you're causing the enemy to get advantage on their enemy enemies, because it could be a group of maybe like 10 goblins that are all attacking you, advantage on their next attack, it might not be on you. It could be on your teammate. So that adds more to that, that team dynamic element to this as well. So that, that's turn order. That describes what happens if stuff gets knocked out, if stuff fights, etc. Ending a battle. The battle ends for an Oromancer when a player's Oro disc runs out of Oru through losing two Oromon in battle. Bosses can break the only losing two Oromon rule under damn discretion. So if your players are bodying this boss and you're just and the DM's like, listen, I know you guys beat two of his creatures, but guess what? He's not an official guild member like you. He's not an official Oromon duelist like you. He doesn't need to play by your rules. Or because he's a non-human character, you can DMs, you can just say he's a, he is channeling some of his own aura into the disc, and you see his left leg start to get like fuzzy and flickery as he continues to fight as the disc is sucking away his own aura from the creature doing it so that the so that the wild um so that the um sentient boss who's now like losing limbs that are fading away can still cast cards to still fight against you guys. It's cool, right? It's it, because these creatures are made of magic, and that same magic or the Oru, right? Creatures, the Orobans, are made of Oru, and Oru is what you use to cast spells with. They could potentially sacrifice themselves to stay longer in fights, and it gives, like, dramatic fights and battles and things, too, so. Anywho, another thing I added, a change log! Yay! So, some players are asking, some people are asking about that. They're like, hey, can we, uh, potentially have a change log? I was like, yeah, I, I can, I can try to work on that stuff, so. Here's what the changelog is, right? It's got stuff from March 28th, the first time we talked about the book, um, and everything I put in during the first update. April 1st, everything I put in for that. April 1st. No. April 4th, why does that say the first? Yeah, when I typed this up the other night, I was very exhausted. And I'll have this be the, uh, the 12th, I guess, because this will hopefully go to you guys on the 12th. Um, to then say, hey, you know, Here's everything I put in for the 12th. I put in acquiring the Aramon, everything below that. Battles, everything below that. Table of contents and changelog added, so. Yeah, and then hopefully next one will hopefully be again on Sunday at noon on 418. Hopefully we'll get another installment up. Anyway, I value guys' opinions a lot because if this game, I wanna make sure it sounds interesting to you guys to play. Because ultimately, like, yes, I can play this with my friends and have fun, but I want to make something and make it like a splash in the world of Dungeons & Dragons and add an installment that people can enjoy playing a different way. So, recap on some things, right? What, we, what did we talk about this episode? We talked about all the different ways of how a uh, Oromancer can acquire Oromon, acquire cards to fight with, right? We also talked about battling and battles. If any of that sounded confusing, please, and after you've read in the book too, please leave me, DM me, say something in the Discord so other people can see so that I know, just of clarification. Because obviously in my head it makes sense, right? If something needs to be explained further in the book, let me know so I can put that. Because you gotta someday some people are not gonna hear me give all this extra gibberish when they talk, they're just gonna read the book and be able to try to understand it from that face value. So, let me know what your thoughts are, if stuff made sense, if stuff sounded good. Um, are you excited to start collecting cards? What about that? Just seems fun. Does the battling make sense? Does the battle terms, the idea of this purgatory mechanic seem like a unique and fun idea to try? If you know of anybody that does art, or even if you do art, and you want to have it be sent to me, and I take a look at it and see if it's cool, let me know. So that way I can start putting your guys' art in the book. I think that'd be so cool. You know what I mean? Or if you know an artist and you're like, hey, can you draw this creature for me to be put into this book or whatever? And they're like, yeah. So with that being said, let me know down below or Discord. Like I said, some way communication. I've been saying that all the night. On what you'd like to see next in the in the book installments, right? Do you want me to start to now that we've talked about we're basically done with talking about with the Aramons, with the how to play, right? How to play the game is, is here. <laughs> now we're just missing the extra stuff. Right, so technically I guess you could take those basic deck of cards that each class has, the Mystic starting deck, the Celestial starting deck, and the Power starting deck. 
And you and friends, uh, you and your buddies at home, you three could fight each other, right? Maybe you have a three-way fight. Each person summons a creature, each person fights. Because now you know how this works. You can make your own Aromancer. You can make your own things as playtesters, right? You can make your own things. Try them out. Let me know. I mean, I, I value any feedback on anything, right? So let me know what you guys want to see next. Do you want to see the first and first sections of monsters put into the book? Should we see the spell lists? Should we see an overall monster, like almanac that shows what each monster is its evolutions without going into total depth and seeing all the monsters what should the next installment in this book be chronologically right because we got battling done we we have making them we have literally making your character how the character gets their gear gets their weapon gets their cards get their acquiring of Aramon cards right and then we have battles how to battle how to fight other people how to use the cards you've acquired in battles so should the next thing be what spells each class is only allowed to get should the next thing be starting to see some of the like starting to see maybe the first tier of creatures right the first zero to four level zero to four cr creatures and to see what evolutions that they have at least their names or some of their evolutions or what have you just looking for, for, for the next direction i should i should take like next installment should the, what should the fourth installment of the book be because they're almost all here it's literally just make all the creatures literally right or only only make all the creatures into here that are that are revolutions i'm gonna keep the basic um i'm gonna save the basic creatures to just have you look into the monster manual so that, that way the book's not this thick this is just the basic creatures of dungeons and dragons so if i'm making a lot of these have one to two evolutions I'm not going to put the basic forms of them in there as well. I will save the creature almanac <laughs> and I will make a list. I will try to put a list of all the creatures and maybe do like a bullet of what each creature evolves into at level four, level seven. And I will proceed to put their evolutions in the book. <laughs> so that way it's not this plus all their evolutions. Because that would be a, that'd be a lot be a lot so as i finish up uh last things to say right uh where i should take the book next uh if you have art or if you feel like being creative and just want to try your luck and submit art and see if i like it see what's cool and to have it potentially included in the book i got a lot of spaces on pages here i have the whole like right side of page six i have the whole like different areas i can include art and stuff so believe me i will find spots to put things if people are feeling like they want to draw art and add additions I love it. I think reaching out to you guys and having the community give me stuff back, I think it's amazing. You know, love your name in a project, I think it's just really cool for a portfolio for other things as well, right? So, especially if you're somebody that's into fantasy writing or ever wanted to get involved with this someday or in the big leagues, you can be like, yeah, hey, like, you know, that look at this published material that has my art in it, you know? So, be a cool thing. Um, like I said, reach out to me on the Reddit, reach out to me on other things if you want to reach out. Um, once they get the Patreon finished, we can set that up. So eventually people could, once a month, you guys, if you're on a certain tier on the Patreon, could then be like, hey, Ryan, I was thinking about adding this creature to the world. What are your thoughts are? Help me improve it so that we could include this. I'd be like, heck yeah. I always love homebrew stuff. So as long as it's not like, and the world or what, you know what I mean? Like, like it'll be within parameters, obviously for game balance mechanics. So, but I can, and I cannot wait to see some of the like mechanics that people have for some of the creatures. Like for example, right? If you were on the if you're on the Discord, I'll show that quick. You you know of this. If you're on the Discord, you you've heard of this. So I'm gonna show quick the um the thing that we talked about on the in the project channel where you know you take your basic skeleton and as it reaches level four, it's gonna become this here. Open that. Bam. So now your basic skeleton, and this is from Wizards of the Coast. This is official art. It's a I believe it's called a Tomb Guardian originally, I I think. But instead, like, oh, now your basic skeleton, its new ability kind of like at level four is multi-attack, where it can swing its short sword four times, for example. And this would be the picture to go along with it. And I would have, like, maybe a... Like, when I have the creature in the on the almanac of its evolution, I might have a... I'll have a picture of it. I'll have a name of it, if I can find a picture and a name, you know. I'll maybe adjust its stats a little bit. If the stats don't change, I'll just say stats don't change. Or um, I'll be like, oh, everything's going to get new HP, but... HP increase if it's stats change. I'll talk about that and I'll talk about an additional ability. Otherwise, it's just the same skeleton, one of the mill basic stuff, as well as having this new ability, having this new HP, having gained this new stuff. 
So, hopefully with that, on that note, um, if that seems interesting, like I said, if you want to unlock tiers on Patreon, to have some tiers being like, hey, add in the Dark Auromancer class for somebody that maybe relies on killing creatures to empower their own as an idea and have their own list of spells that they can use from the spell list that they're limited to and maybe aren't limited by the positive and negatives of the other classes and are their own entity altogether. Like I mentioned before, maybe there's other races. Maybe we want to make our own Auromancer race. If I'll make some tiers where it's like a new background, like um, a background I was thinking when I was driving home today was the Giant Slayer background. They like to use creatures of large or gargantuan level to fight, and they get bonuses to that because they like to slay. They like to fight with big creatures. They like to ride on them in combat and battle in the overworld, right? Because if you make a large thing your key creature, you can then use that thing to clear vast distances over long periods of time. So just ideas. All right, so with that, thanks for all listening to uh, to this here, and I will catch you all next week. All right, take care.